This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. When you think of the bear, this is probably what you see. Just make it easy and make the f***ing spaghetti. Don't say spaghetti. All these knives are done. Did you take my knife, chef? Did you take my knife, chef? Yes, chef. Yes, chef. Yes, chef. Yes, chef. My favorite, like, mashup description of the bear is uncut gems meets ratatouille. But to earn that chaos, the bear needs to have moments like this. It's style, not for the sake of style itself. The slow, paced out, more deliberate scenes are a reflection of the fact that they're they're coming out of the chaos. And then when we're going back in, we're going to be back to the craziness, not because it looks cool, but because we want to get to the emotional center of what these people are going through and where their heads are at. On today's episode, we sit down with Emmy-nominated editors Joanna Noggle and Adam Epstein to chat about their brilliant work on The Bear and how this little show captured the hearts, minds, and awards of everyone watching. This interview was recorded by Riverside. It is the best remote video recording tool for podcasts. You can find out more about them later. I only recently started watching the show about a week ago, and I was luckily able to go through like the whole show and, of course, of this week. But I was always shared on Twitter the opening montage on, on episode one. And I saw that multiple times and I'm so glad I finally got to see it in context as well. But Joanna, I would love for you to actually be breaking down just the challenges, the experiences, the creative choices that you had to make into creating that sequence. Yeah, so we were in the edit for the pilot. And one of the things that Chris Storer, who created the pilot and directed it and wrote it or created the entire show, I should say, was that he really wanted things to just start with like a shot of adrenaline. And the script was kind of fighting us on that because it opened with a bunch of different scenes. It was Carby emptying ball breaker and then selling the jeans and then he's making the meat and he's talking to Tina. It just didn't have as much energy to it. It didn't feel like we were like immersed in this world right from the beginning. So one of the ways that we uh, were able to create that effect was by creating a montage that basically took bits of all these different scenes and definitely having it be a little bit of a, a catching up moment of like, okay, this is the speed of the show. You're in, you're out. This is what you're signing up for. It's going to get a little crazy. <laughs> And so all the different pieces we had to work with were those different scenes that were scripted. And on top of that, we had all the Chicago B-roll. And then on top of that, we added in some archival footage of different families in Chicago over the years, kind of building up this generational idea of Italian families in Chicago. There's so many different things we wanted to show and we found out by like braiding them together, it was the perfect way to kind of set that up. Um, And then we're kind of off to the races for the rest of the episode. So they were all separate scenes, but then the intent was, 
okay, we actually want to showcase how manic and how much, like, in the deep end he already is on this. And so throwing them all together aggressively kind of, like, just set up that emotion straight away. Exactly. And I think originally those scenes were, like, 10 minutes long or something. And Chris was like, can we do it in three? And I was like, that is the most insane note I've ever gotten. Let's try. <laughs> um, and it was very fun to try to figure it out. Well, it hooked me. Let's walk through it. Yeah, right away we have two songs playing at once. That is classic bear chaos. We have the refused song that we already had a little bit at the beginning of the episode and kind of becomes Carmi's theme. And then building in this Budos band song creates this weird overlapping effect while keeping the energy really strong. With this good win with uh, finding some more cash by getting cut into it and setting up the stove, what I kind of got out of this is like that's a win and it kind of rewards himself with cooking a little bit. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And we throughout the whole first season, we use so much of that, like cranking the dials and like a quick zoom in on like the fire. Like that was a visual language that Adam and I talked about as like this burst of energy. And it was just always such a great way to kind of build up that excitement before we get into one of our usually crazy montages. Here we start to introduce our cross dissolves, which um, is a tool I don't use that often, but felt right here because I basically was trying to create a difference between the static cuts or like the hard cuts between the different scenes and what was going on. And the intent was that the cross dissolves would create a little bit of this romance of like, mm. oh, when he's cooking, time kind of slows down. Time feels like it's fading into each other. Like this is his happy place. This is his creative place. And I think those cross dissolves were the best way we could think of to kind of visually show that. Hey, Chi-Chi, it's Carm. You still got that meat connect? Oh, wow. A lot just happened there. What was I going know. on there? So now we bring in some Chicago B-roll. Um, intentionally in the footage, Adam and I really tried to use things that had quick zoom in, snap zooms, motion. I remember as I was cutting the scene, I was like, oh, the pigeons are kind of a cool detail. And for a while, I just had them sitting on there. And then I was like, oh, why does this shot just feel like it's like sucking the energy out of the montage? And I was like, oh, there's no motion. So I went and found, you know, a little section where one of the pigeons takes off and it just matches so beautifully then to the subway running past and the snap zoom. So I think every little moment, it was just like, oh, what can we find? That's like moving, moving, moving. And then we start introducing our first photos and still images. And one of the things that we were really inspired by is there's like the archival home movies montage that happens in Raging Bull, where you see Vicky and Jake getting married. You see this like Super 8 footage, and then it's cut in between with stills of him fighting and, you know, these gorgeous moments in time. And I just always loved, it really stuck with me even when I first saw it, like how the interplay of the still images with the motion creates like this kind of nostalgia and kind of a bridge between two worlds. So originally this was a lot more of Chicago footage. And when Chris and I were talking about it, it was like, oh, we should really be introducing Carmi and like the generations and generations of people who give him his appreciation for food. It feels like uh, an overwhelming character development sequence. It's like we're seeing him in action while also giving his backstory all at the same time. And I think these photos really just like add towards like me understanding Cami and like 
less than two minutes. And it's like, why the hell would you want to work in this environment? But then with all of these nostalgic photos, it kind of made me feel like, oh, so this feels like home to him. This is where he feels kind of like the most safe in that sense, in that sort of manic panic feeling. A hundred percent. No, that that's, I'm so glad that that came through. What would be unbelievably hellish and horrible for someone actually is comforting for him in weird, twisted ways as well. So trying to already set that up for the audience. I love it. All right. You cut vegetables like a bitch. Don't wipe your hands on your apron, chef. Jeff. Yeah, and we get a little taste of Tina, who I think we've met already before this, but um, setting up Tina as, you know, one of the first people to be at the restaurant, giving him a hard time is just also setting up like he has no respect here. He's shown up. He's just the owner's little brother. And they're like, oh, I guess you're fancy, huh? So Tina already negging him is also just kind of setting up these layers. He doesn't have any allies right <laughs> now. You know, it's him against the world um, and he's going to try to make it work. Chef. Again, it was just another cross dissolve. It's just calming and then panic. Just giving us that brief moment of peace in between with these cooking shots. And I think you kind of litter it sort of throughout the whole montage, you, these types of moments of cooking. Definitely. Yeah, that's a way that we can also show his day progressing with all these things that are kind of happening simultaneously as we're tracking the beef getting made as well. And it just helps connect all of the sequences a little bit more. It kind of, it kind of creates a foundation that supports them all a little bit. Time is such an important factor in the show and every step of the way it's just like okay what's the countdown to open like when are we gonna be done with construction like that's something that's really built into both seasons and so I think as editors it's such a fun motif or theme to play with as the people who are literally controlling how much time we're spending in each scene. I just think this scene is so smart, too, from a writing perspective. You know, we've set up him as this chef who knows what he's doing. And then he runs home and there's jeans in his oven. Like, this is such a great character detail that kind of makes no sense. And like, they don't really ever explain, which I love. It's just like, oh, I guess he collects dope jeans. And, you know, it's also when he's cooking, he's at work. He's not cooking for himself. And we see that even more throughout the season. Also, he has his home life, which is very different from how he takes care of the the patrons in his restaurant. He doesn't extend the same kindness to himself. And just seeing that his oven probably hasn't been turned on any time in the last few weeks is clear. That was an interesting moment for me there. It was, so you're showing all of these shots of uh, of this home life and then you cut to just that one quick shot of the beef being flipped. The most of the cooking is at the beginning as we're setting it up. And then like, that's something that I find a lot in these like fast paced montages is if you really set something up, you know, not even for that long, like let's say two seconds, then throughout the montage, if you just have a quick flash that relates to that thing you've set up, the mind will connect it right away. So just that one flip is like, okay, we're in a new location, let's go, but don't worry, he's still cooking. Um, it just kind of like checks in with him and then on to the next one. We got issues. This arcuate's painted. Yeah, no shit is they conserve copper during World War II. That's why there's no rivets? That's why no rivets. How the fuck do you not know that? Because I fucking don't. This is original Big E Redline Selfage, all right, from 1944. You can get 1250 for that on eBay tonight. And I'd still be five and a half short. Add this. What am I, a coin star? That's like 300, 300 Gigi. plus what? Plus 1955 blanket line type three. Pleated? Pleated. Boom. 
Why did you create that pause there? That was an interesting pause where he hesitated on his next statement. Yeah, that was a moment that I talked to Chris about a lot. Um, I don't even really understand what he's saying there in terms of the nuances <laughs> of the different genes. But I think you can understand that if he's pausing, he's hesitant. And it's clear that this thing has a little bit of extra importance. And maybe he's sacrificing something a little bit more to make this work. So I think mm. that's the first time we were trying to show that he needs to like make these tough decisions in order to problem solve, you know, this kind of predicament he's gotten himself into. Plus 1955 blanket line type three. Read it. Pleaded. Boom. I'd, I'd love to add one thing just as, as a fan of Joanna's work, like especially in that moment that you guys brought up. She has such an incredible ability of finding a pocket in the phrasing of the music and letting the mm. action, like in this case, his pause, the way that that plays out in that breakdown with like the little bit of the trailing reverb of the song before it kicks back in. Like, it's just, it's so on point. I mean, throughout the entire montage, you did such an amazing job of contrasting sound and visuals and then also marrying them. What was your thought process when building the whole soundscape in relation to the visuals? We do so much temp sound work on this show. Adam and I have talked about it like more than any show either of us has has worked on. And I think also it's so helpful, like within a montage, this is also something Adam and I have talked about. If you just add a little bit of a sound effect, a lot of times you can like cut away from a shot even sooner because it's not just like, oh, I only have 10 frames to look at this beef being flipped. It's like, oh, if you hear a little bit of a sizzle, you're gonna like connect that even more quickly what's happening. So I think adding whatever sound effects to build up that montage just helped me be more confident cutting a little bit faster, realizing we could even put a little bit more information into this. Boom. So I think here, like all of the rules have been set. We're now just enjoying this flow now. It's just like, we're in mm -hmm. this. Then we're setting up this ball breaker tournament, which was something we kept coming back to in the pilot because it was never really scripted to set up the tournament. It was kind of just like, okay, we're having, there's this weird video game. There's going to be a, a tournament. Um, so that was something we built out in graphics. So it was a way to like raise the stakes and be like, okay, this is what we're building towards. A huge plot line is going to be getting people to show up, um, getting, you know, making their day by having this tournament. So you essentially got a digital pickup. And then I just love he looks at the clock and it's like, you know, 10 a.m. It's like it feels like he's had a full day. It's just like setting up from the beginning how much what a labor of love it is to run a restaurant. And it's not just about cooking. It's also about managing these 400 different things. And that just sets up what the show is going to explore, you know, throughout the course of the series. Now, obviously, this podcast is a remote interview, which can be frustrating to do, but it was incredibly easy 
because of Riverside. Honestly, if you're not using Riverside for all of your virtual meetings, you're making a big mistake. I've even been using it for consultations. As soon as we're done, I get to send them the entire recording. And not to mention the recording quality is freaking it's good. Whereas other virtual meeting services can only do up to 720, Riverside can do 4K. Which is why we like to use it for podcasting. And we love it because it records each audio and video track separately so that editing is such a breeze when we get into post. Which means our editor can get started on cutting it almost immediately. And even if you or your guest has absolute garbage internet, it doesn't matter. Because remember that one time when we were in the hotel room? I mean, the call kept on jostling. I thought we lost it, but because Riverside records locally and then uploads, the call was perfect. And it's easy for the guests. I don't need to install anything. You just send them the link and you can start recording. It even says like, roll out the red carpet. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it makes it, me feel special. It makes me feel so special. If you're podcasting, creating video content or recording online calls, then sign up to riverside.fm for free and use code editingpodcast for 20% off. And you can find that link in the description and we'll see you back in the interview. This really reminded me of uncut gems. Part of what is happening. Put on on me. So I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I wanted to talk to you for a minute. Where it's just like a relentless pace of just like, you don't yes. get a break. It's like everything's very close up and that gives you like no space to breathe. So just talk me through the whole like editing thought process when approaching the show as a whole or even this first sequence yeah that's so funny you say uncut gems because my favorite like mashup description of the bear is uncut gems meets ratatouille which is like <laughs> just so such a perfect combination to me but yeah it's so true like chris loves close-ups and i think i can speak on adam's behalf we also love close-ups and the energy they have the intensity they have the, the focus they have chris and josh and joanna the whole creative team they're really great at saying you know this is what we want it to feel like like, like, for example, this scene should feel like he's drowning and then not like, and here's what you should do to, you know, to make it happen. He's like, what do you have in your editing toolkit to make that possible? And I was like, OK, cool. Let's see. We have music. We have cross dissolves. We have fast cuts. We have sound effects. We have visual effects and just figuring out how those all could go together to create this desired effect. Like, that's my favorite way to edit. Adam, what about you? I think uh, what, what were some of your like big rules and ideas and philosophies on the editing language of the bear? Sure. Well, the the thing I like about the the style of this show is it it can be extremely stylistic and edit forward, like you're saying. Like it's not you know invisible editing by any sense of that. Um, but I like that it, it's style not for the sake of style itself. It's style that always has a reflection either in mirroring um, the internal emotions of the character in question, or very often um, reflecting the environment that the scene is taking place. So oftentimes, you know, that seems kind of like simplistic, but like the slow paced out, more deliberate scenes um, are a reflection of the fact that they're they're coming out of the chaos. So, of mm -hmm. course, they're going to be feeling this kind of release and we're going to have the style then mirror that. And then when we're going back in, we're going to be back to the craziness, not because it looks cool, but because we want to get to the emotional center of of what these people are going through and where their heads are at. You just use the full frequency of editing tools to achieve certain emotions. You guys do such a good job of that. And I think a perfect example of that is when we fast forward to season two, we're gonna talk about 207, which is one of probably the best episodes of the show, Forks. This episode is about Cousin Rich's journey, Definitely. trying to take himself seriously. So how did you guys as a team speak about that and try to use the tools of filmmaking to make that happen within his character? Yeah, so like when when I initially read this script, 
I was very excited because Richie, even in season one, when everyone's like, ah, oh, I can't stand that guy. Fuck all this. Where's my gun? He was immediately, I'm like, but this is, this is my favorite character on the show. And it's <laughs> not even close. And I love, I, every character is amazing. Um, but it's, I think it's just the combination of Evan being just a, such an incredible actor. And I think Richie at first is also just incredibly misunderstood. And what people initially clock as him just being a loud ass and, you know, really uncouth is it's not that he's just he's he's damaged. He's incredibly sad and hurt and flailing and just trying to find his place, uh, you know, in a world where all of his anchors have c- completely become untethered. So he's just floating. And I think there's something very universal about men of a certain age who haven't really found their way. What happens oftentimes, you know, they they lash out. Um, so it was really nice to have this arc that happens, you know, in the course of 30 minutes, basically. I was really excited to work on. The first three shots there all become recurring shots that we see visual progress as they happen throughout the episode. Um, this one montage, and then when he later is like really at his peak of doing great, you know, we see that he beats the alarm for the first time, and then later when he's kind of a little more dejected, we see that he kind of like sleeps later. So it's it's setting up like right off the bat in these like really simple shots what are going to be recurring images that kind of guide us through as like as tent poles throughout the uh, the rest of the episode. I always like that sort of philosophy where it's like rule setting and and how you uh, project that into the audience, and so it's intentional that these cuts are slow and so we do ingest all of this information and therefore it just pays off so much more subtly later on yeah and it, it helps too from like you know just a, a nuts and bolts editorial standpoint to give yourself markers throughout the way it's similar to what she was doing in the pilot as far as like having the cooking being things that you can space out that then give you a bit of a grip broadly on, on what you're watching it just mm. it, it really helps you with overall structure I really like you holding on to him here. Yes, for me there, it was, I knew that basically the out on that was going to be his look and the kind of the exhale of the cigarette, because that's signifying like, here we go. Whatever here we go is going to be, that's kind of the the visual kind of kickoff. And you can, and he the way that he acts with his eyes too, you really see that there's some weight to whatever is going to be happening here. Fuck you, cousin. All right, so this is all about setting vibe. So the entirety of this opening really is how do we set up an energy and a vibe for him, especially for the place that he's going into that we haven't seen before, which then will be pretty directly contrast by the time we get to the end. And even though it's the same place and even though he's the same person, they're going to be seen in very different ways and they're going to feel pretty much opposite to where we were when we started. So the direction from Chris for this scene, he's like, 
basically this is going to be like he's going on to the Death Star in the truest like sci-fi sort of vibes too because Richie also if you really want to get into subtext is like a big science fiction fan and I think they were like very deliberate about the way this was lit and shot to really make it feel like he's walking onto like an enemy space station basically. So when I was doing like the initial score pass and sound pass, every time he was in the restaurant in the first half before he kind of, you know, turned a corner, there was always a subsonic like low rumble, like Mm. almost mirroring the fact that there's like this is like the engine on a space station or something like that. And so there are two tracks playing here, too. So the first track was layered as he's coming in, and then I found a part that I liked when things were getting like a little kooky and kind of a little electronic and and metallic and crunchy as he was coming into with the light. That kind of sound there. Just again, more unease and also introducing a bit of like a dream logic to an extent Mm. because at this point, this could very easily almost be like you're looking at like a nightmare that he's having. Who knows Mm. if if this is real and I think walking that line was was kind of fun initially too. Mm. I love that. Then when we go to this cut, to the sparse, new musical phrase, something a little more sterile. And so again, we're still, you know, in this foreign land, but now as opposed to the chaos of where he's coming from to now we're going to enter what almost looks like, you know, a chip manufacturing lab. How is this a restaurant? How do we make this feel as foreign and different as possible? He looks so vulnerable here, out of place. That cut, that for whatever reason, took me so annoyingly long to have a, a continuity that didn't feel <laughs> janky. It's always something stupid like that. It's always like, that just looks like a cut. And like, yeah, that took me like an hour to, like, to, get, <laughs> to get how it should have been. But the nice thing about that shot is that was a specific bridge to introduce Garrett, the next character. Mm-hmm. So we have our close-up that we can then use as the glue for our intro shot. So you can cheat some footsteps coming in in the close-up, which then pull you in to Garrett's entrance. Hey, Forks. No, no, I'm Richard. Okay, I'm Garrett, backway staff. Your Forks, change your shirt. Some excellent micro acting coming up here. Look at that, just like honest. And so now we're introducing something that becomes an extremely positive, warm phrase. But at the time, we don't know that. In this environment, with a clock right there, it comes across as like almost fascistic, like really mm. military precision. Do not waste anything. Every second counts. It's all important. And again, setting up something like that early to then see what the eventual meaning kind of transitions into is important. Nice symbolic thing of covering up who he is. Yeah. Big time jump on buttoning the buttons there. Did you experiment with the timing of that close-up in terms of really making sure that that moment was clear? Obviously, we're using eyes as well, what's motivating the cut there. His look is kind of what's you know drawing our eye line to what he's looking at, which then helps on the punch-in. And then it's using the sound effect of him kind of pulling this across, amping that up to smooth the cut into like the time jump of him then buttoning it up to finish off the scene basically it's subtle touches but it really really does help in terms of uh, us audiences understanding the story Mm. 
chef, are we done with the forks? Well, break, break down how jarring and how aggressive these cuts are. Like, how did you make this work? It's a bit of a cheat for how do we show that he's already been doing this for quite a long time and it's like, you know, tedious, but we have four seconds to show that. <laughs> um, and how do we show that like he's being, he's getting you know, like annoyed and pissed off, so, you know, reaction shot, montage, montage. Sound, sound. Reaction shot again. Build, 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 and then hard out. And then we're back to more kind of normal reality. So yeah, use, so using the sound, those aggressive cuts, and also always cutting back to him just makes us understand the emotion that he's having. And the thing that I just love so much about this episode is like just talking about how deliberately slow the beginning is. And later in the episode, like it completely transforms. Three, going to 21. Yeah. Uh, one minute, table desserts, please. 19, go. 20, go. The vibe, the pace, the energy, the music, like that helps sells this big transformation that is maybe a, a big jump for him to make in a half an hour. But like you totally buy into it because he just gets swept up in the pace of this other place and is slowly kind of won over by Garrett and the rest of the staff. No more forks. No more forks. So I think like you did such a good job having the editing mirror that transformation in a way that most people don't even pick up on it consciously, but it really does transform along with him. I mean, I'm just really lucky to be able to work on an episode that has something where it's like, okay, this is sci-fi and then it's a Rocky montage. Great writing. You have something written that has all these beats that let you then do interesting stylistic stuff with it. So walk us through some of the stylistic decisions you decided to make when you were setting up the way that that every second counts phrase changed in his mind throughout the episode to the end. How did you execute that within editing? I mean, so much of that is is on the page and is in the performance. So I just try to not get in the way of what's great. And I try to highlight what they're doing that is great. So when he's having his conversation with Olivia Coleman towards the end... So how did this place happen? Oh, no, that was on my, my 38th birthday. Mm-hmm. It's seeing him internalize what's being said. I was out walking all night, unemployed, angry, depressed, blaming everybody else for all the time I'd lost and the money I'd lost, all of it. He, he's brilliant when it comes to the action of listening. And then I walked round to the front and I saw the sign. It was an actual sign. It was a restaurant for lease sign. And having listening appear to be really real and deep. Like uh, never too late kind of thing. Yeah, never too late to start over. And that then also, I think, you know, helps the audience buy into this. This isn't just like, oh, he changed. It's like, no, I saw him really taking to heart what Garrett said outside. I need you to respect the staff, I need you to respect the diners, and I need you to respect yourself. And then when they're back in, you know, listening to the breakdown of the day, his energy has changed a little bit too. So I I can't really take credit for that other than highlighting what great actors are doing. After editing seasons one and two and the experiences and all the lessons you guys learned from it, what has been like your perspective changed in editing after editing both of these seasons? I think the thing that I 
learned the most is being able to reuse footage and how powerful that is. And, you know, whether that's in a, a panic attack montage, whether that's like we're trying to sell this like emotional journey. Um, I think something that, you know, I didn't always think of as a resource is the impactfulness of repeating footage over multiple episodes or throughout the course of, you know, of a season or even between two seasons, because the audience will make their own kind of like connections with that footage and then to see it again in a new context and create such a like visceral and emotional reaction. The thing that I really appreciate the most about working on this show is they really kind of force you oftentimes to come up with creative ways in and out of things um, because we never really had, and I think by design, and I'm really glad that this wasn't the case, we never really had like, okay, new scene, here's the establishing wide, and now we're into the scene, you know, like cut to the exterior beef, you hear them talking and then we're inside. Like we never, never really did that. So it, it was an interesting, you know, exercise in either finding connective tissue between scenes and just being very blunt about it, like scene in and boom, we're in the next scene. Or using B-roll and texture because we had so much great close-ups, like you were talking about, you know, dials turning, fire coming on, chop, 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 chop. Mm-hmm. Do you get these like little mini, they're not really montages and they're not really establishing shots. They're like these little in-between bursts of style that also you can get story and like symbolism across, but then allow you to kind of like get into the next thing. Um, and just having that, those non-traditional, you know, exercises I thought was really cool and really has kind of opened me up more when I'm working on other shows. Last question, because I know we're running out of time then. What was the experience like when everyone went, oh my God, this is like the best television of this year? I'd say it was a pleasant surprise. I mean, I think we were very jazzed on the show, so it's not like we were surprised that it that people loved it so much. It's just it's so tough. There's so much great TV out there and it, it can be hard to break through, as they say, or like get on people's radars. But yeah, I mean, it's I think season one, I would tell people what I was working on. And they're like, oh, right. The show about the chef and not like think much of it. And then when I was working on season two, everyone was like, can you tell me what's happening? Like, what's going on? You know, like there was it was like the the expectations were there a little bit more. I was like, man, we really got to not mess this up this time. Um, but, you know, I think as soon as we started seeing the dailies from season two, we were like, ah, Yep, they've done it again. We, we got a good a good season on our hands. Well, Adam, Joanna, thank you so much for coming on the show, guys. Yeah, thank this you was so fun. much for having us. Really great. Big fan of what you guys are doing. It keeps me uh, an old head like myself, somewhat up to date with what's going on in the modern world of editorial. It's it's, it's one of the things I really appreciate about this podcast. Like, yeah, with me, with most of my background being YouTube editing, I just been enjoying just learning from all the different perspectives. I just love that. Like, no matter where we are in the industry like all of our ideas and creativity is like transcendent and across all of us like is a fantastic convergence and so nerding out about editing this is right now one of the best jobs in the world right now i think so guys thank- we got we got another another two or three years before the robots replace us all so let's lean in you know <laughs>